Hi, everyone. Welcome to your God Knows podcast. I'm very excited for the episode we have today. I have to admit, I have been waiting for it for a long time. And I'm very excited to have Christian Costas here with us today. Christian, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be on here sharing some information that I hope will, will help a lot of people out there. I'm sure it will. <laughs> Christian Costas is a gastroenterology dietitian specializing in celiac disease. He currently works at Bradford Teaching Hospital's NHS Foundation Trust, where he runs the dietetic-led celiac service in the hospital. Christian has worked in a variety of clinical areas in the NHS. His key areas of interest are celiac disease and also irritable bowel syndrome and inflammatory bowel disease. In 2020, Christian was awarded with the National Guts UK and Dr. Folk Dietitian Recognition Award for improving patient care. And last but not least, Christian has been practicing as a dietitian since 2015 and completed his postgraduate diploma in dietetics at Leeds Beckett University. What an absolute pleasure, Christian. Thank you. Thanks, thanks for having me again. <laughs> so... Well, there's a lot we could be, you know, talking about around celiac disease. And in fact, this is a key topic that at Sano we are more and more getting questions on. And let's start by talking about the diagnosis, because there's a lot of confusion and misinformation out there on what are the symptoms, what are the tests, how people, how our audience and users can know what to do. Yeah, sure. So absolutely, you're completely right there. So there's a lot of misinformation. A lot of people are very confused about it. And I think it's good to start off by saying that actually with celiac disease at the moment, there's up to 75% of people that are undiagnosed with it. And this is all of this confusion adds to all of this and makes it more difficult for people to come forward and get diagnosed. And what I would say is one of the first challenges there when it comes to the diagnosis is that actually the, the person when they're going through all these tests, needs to be eating gluten for six weeks, okay, in at least one meal. So that's one of the first things that a lot of people already don't do with the diagnosis, which I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about throughout, throughout the podcast. But that's one of the key things with it, because what we're trying to test for is an abnormal response in the person's body with any test that's linked to celiac disease. So if there's no gluten in their diet, then there's not going to be a potential abnormal response there. Mm -hmm. Makes a lot of sense. And wow, I'm so shocked. You just mentioned 75% are still undiagnosed. It's, it's crazy. And um, if not, not mistaken, I read, and actually you told me also when, when we spoke last time, that it takes up to 13 years to get a diagnosis um, for celiac disease, which is absolutely crazy. Yeah. And, you know, and I think there's many reasons for that. But, you know, one of them is potentially what we're talking about, people removing gluten um, when they shouldn't really. So then it's really hard to get a diagnosis, isn't it? And you can go years where you partially remove it. You've got symptoms, you've got issues, but you don't get them checked. And that's really the second part, which is taking that step and engaging with a health professional and saying, look, I've got these symptoms and getting tests for it. And, you know, the challenge is that it's awareness really from the patient to know that actually celiac disease is something that probably should get tested with certain symptoms, which I'll talk about. But the other thing is that step from the health professional understanding that, right, celiac disease is something that should get tested with certain symptoms. 
And this is where it becomes challenging because, you know, celiac disease is a digestive condition, right? So it appears in the digestive tract, but it doesn't just manifest there. It's since it's an autoimmune condition that manifests in different systems of the body. And I'll, I'll define that a bit later, but really it can appear in different parts of the body. So it can manifest in the skin. Some people can get skin rashes that we call dermatitis herpetiformis. Some people can even get things like mouth ulcers, right? Some people can get headaches, brain fog, problems concentrating. Some people can even get stroke type symptoms, where which we call um, which are ataxia type symptoms, where they lose coordination, balance. They can't, you know, they might struggle to speak or even point too. So, and, and that can be quite advanced for some people. So we've got that. We've got vitamin and mineral deficiencies, right? We've also got problems with bones getting weaker too. And then we've got, and these are some of the, what we call maybe the non-classical symptoms, pe- symptoms that people don't expect. And that's why it takes a health professional that's switched on thinking, right, could this also be celiac disease? Because the common presentation, which a lot of people expect is the one where the, the patient presents with abdominal pain, maybe some unexpected weight loss, bloating, gas, you know, problems digesting food, but not everyone's going to present that way. And we've got some really good research coming through saying that roughly could be something like only a third of patients presenting this way and more like 50% presenting um, in this other way with symptoms outside of the digestive tract and even 20% of patients having no symptoms at all. So as you can see, this is very hard to, to screen for. Wow, absolutely. What a, a complexity here. And um, key takeaway message probably is the one that you mentioned now, get help from, you know, healthcare professionals, don't self-diagnose. And this is another problem that we are seeing uh, through our users that many of them come to us saying, I probably have celiac disease and then asking them, but what about the tests and the diagnosis? They say, oh, actually there's none. So it's very scary, actually, or put together, hearing the symptoms and, and all the implications that you just told, right? How how dangerous it can be to self-diagnose. Yes, absolutely. Because essentially, if you don't have any of these proper tests, you have no idea what you have, what condition you have. And, you know, it might be, it might not be celiac disease, but it could be something else. And really, this is all a diagnosis journey, really, for the for any patient, where really a celiac disease tip. Um, step test might be the first step that you do and you know whether that's positive or negative then there'll be different things that we can do and this is the whole thing where people just say a lot of people will say oh I have a gluten intolerance they'll take gluten out of the diet and they leave it there where really that person might have celiac disease potentially they could have what a wheat allergy or they could have what we call non-celiac wheat or gluten sensitivity um, which which we can talk a bit about if you want because I think sometimes it's important to clarify that so people understand oh right it's not as simple as just saying I have a gluten intolerance there's more to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah it would be great if you can elaborate more on this um, because as well this this is another key question we are seeing right I mean what is gluten sensitivity and, and does it mean I just cut off gluten and that's it? And then linking this to celiac, what are the differences? Yeah, sure, sure. So so really when it comes to that, as I say, people think, oh, I've got a problem with gluten. I'll just take it out of my diet. Well, well really what we want to do is we want to 
I understand where the problem is coming from. And I would say it's more complex than it just being gluten, right? Because gluten is complex in itself, but it's found in, you know, it's found in certain grains and wheat is one of them. Okay. But if we look at wheat, wheat's got some different components. So gluten is one of them, but there's other components, which we know can affect people who have irritable bowel syndrome, for example, or they can be active in non-celiac wheat or gluten sensitivity. So this is where it gets a lot more complex. So the first step usually is to try and test somebody for celiac disease. So we can say, right, celiac disease, the prevalence is about 1%, okay, across many different countries. So it's probably something that's a bit more likely. And we can say, right, celiac disease, let's test it. And that's where you'd get something like an antibody test that we call. That's an initial blood test, which would show raised antibodies if that person likely has celiac disease, right? And then from there, in some places, you would then have an endoscopy or camera test that takes a sample of your intestine. And that way we can know, right, with a blood test, and that sample from the intestine, that person has celiac disease. Some countries, like in the UK at the moment, if the values are, show certain things, you can just have a blood test. But again, this is a little bit more complex. So it's worth speaking to a health professional about if you've got any questions there. But that's, that would be the first step. And that way we can say, right, is that celiac disease or not? Now, if it's not, and you, you obviously still have problems with gluten, then there could be something else there. And the other thing that would be important to check is for a wheat allergy, right? Because if you have a wheat allergy, you might have digestive symptoms. That is possible. You might have non-digestive symptoms too. And this is where there's that crossover. And some people can get like a runny nose, wheezing symptoms too. So there's quite a few other symptoms that you can get there that, you know, are outside the digestive tract and they might not necessarily be celiac disease. So when you get that ruled out, and that tends to be like they can do a blood test. Obviously, this is with a health profession, always a blood test. Um, they can do like a skin prick, prick test too. And if that gets ruled out, then that's where we would start to think, right, could this be non-celiac gluten or wheat sensitivity? And that's where, again, this is really challenging to diagnose because we need to rule these things out, the, the allergy to wheat and the celiac disease. And then with that person, we need to put them on a gluten-free diet and then reintroduce gluten to and see if that is, is what makes the difference. And really what we know in research is that they do what we call a, a, a randomized placebo-controlled trial. And, and this is it's really difficult to do in practice, to know that for sure it's that gluten or for sure it's the wheat. And, you know, this is challenging to do, but it's, it's worth getting to that process to so understand what is happening with the guidance of a health professional. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I guess that it must be such a frustrating and emotional process for the patient. I mean, I, I try to put on the patient's shoes right now. And when I hear you speaking about all the different stages, tests involved, and um, obviously, that's why working with a health professional is super critical as well. But um, I'm wondering, you must see a lot of that as well, up and downs and emotional attachment to all this diagnosis process. Definitely. And it's it's really challenging for, for patients because it also, you know, as a patient, it's also important to, to be working with a health professional that understands all of this too. And really, it's important to go through all of these steps in a thorough way. Um, you know, and the other thing which I didn't mention there is that, you know, some patients can also have, they can have IBS and respond to some products that have wheat and not necessarily need to do like a full-blown gluten-free diet. So really it's getting the right health professional. And that's why as dietitians, we've got an important role there looking at that, you know, at the diet and seeing what level of restriction in conjunction with the medical diagnosis. So really it's about getting those health professionals and working with them together till you get to that point of first understanding what the diagnosis is and then getting to a point where you can fit in everything and have a good quality of life with minimal restriction with, within your diet. 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. So this is very helpful. So um, you walked us through all the diagnosis process, the steps, mm-hmm. and let's now imagine that, yeah, this is a positive uh, celiac disease. I mean, what does it mean actually to have celiac disease? It's not like just, oh yeah, I cut gluten out and you mentioned it's an autoimmune disease. So can you tell us a bit more about what involves, what, what, sure. what, what's it all about? Yeah, that's a great point because a lot of times we get people who say they're taking gluten out of their diet and they don't want to reintroduce it to get tested. They say, well, what, what difference does it make? I'm not using gluten anyway. So here's, here's, the, here's the thing. With celiac disease, it's an autoimmune condition where your body attacks itself, unfortunately, when you eat gluten and it attacks itself at the height of the small intestine, okay, which is just past the stomach. And really what that does is it, re- it damages some of the structure of the inside structure of the intestine, which is in charge of absorbing a lot of vitamins and minerals, right? Which is, and that's why it can have an effect on your bone health and it can cause a few other things. But really, it's the best way to think about it is that it's causing physical gut damage, right? And that physical gut damage needs to get treated. If we don't treat that damage, then that's what can increase the risk of complications, right? And some of these complications can, can be, you know, things like small bowel cancer. Um, so it can increase the risk of it. It's a small increase, okay, but it's still an increase. And the other one of the other big ones is osteoporosis, so where your bones can get very weak and, and fracture easily. So really what happens with celiac disease is that there's a level of gluten that needs to be uh, avoided, right? So it's not just about in- avoiding ingredients. We need to think about things like cross-contamination, avoiding that where, you know, gluten might touch the, uh, where gluten might touch the food that you're eating that might be gluten-free. So things like shared toaster, um, oil that's already been used to cook gluten, checking like things that, like that have been produced in the same fabric. Um, factory how that's been produced too so it's all of these sorts of things that we need to watch out for and if that's not Mm -hmm. done properly then you might have celiac disease you're not avoiding gluten properly and that's you know Mm -hmm. increasing that risk and that's why all that medical follow-ups needed because really this is an important condition we need blood tests to check that you're absorbing all your nutrients and we need all the blood tests and at times even things like bone scans for for these patients to check how strong their bones are so there's all this sort of medical follow-up that is important with celiac disease and if you don't have that diagnosis you won't get that and you just won't know Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. wow absolutely right i mean people then won't know about the consequences that that can have Mm -hmm. over time and it's just building there behind the scenes and and then in terms of monitoring and follow-up how often do the patients or anyone with celiac disease go back for a checkup is it every quarter every six months or every year yeah, it's a really good question. So I think it depends on what stage that patient is. So when they're newly, when a patient's newly diagnosed, then I would say, you know, the, there's a combination of follow-up that, for example, in the UK, that usually you, you can either have like a dietitian mainly looking over it with a gastroenterologist. Sometimes it's a gastroenterologist mainly that's doing it and a bit of input from a dietitian. But I think within the first year, you should have at least three appointments, I think. So one, when you're newly diagnosed, probably one, uh, you know, within three months of that new diagnosis and that first appointment. And then one later at your annual checkup, your first annual checkup. Mm-hmm. Some people will need more than that. Okay. But I'd say probably not less than that to make sure everything's going in the right direction. And then at the annual checkups when you should be getting some blood tests. 
So the national guidance coming from the um, British Society of Gastroenterology in the UK, also from NICE, there's two, you know, these two bodies suggest that actually we should be checking bloods for people with celiac disease every year. So we can check that they're actually absorbing what they need to absorb and also that we're screening for other autoimmune conditions because when you have one autoimmune condition, you've got an increased risk of developing other ones. And with celiac disease, there's, there's two main ones, which are autoimmune thyroid disease and type 1 diabetes, but there's also other ones. And that's why a follow-up is good, not just from checking your blood, but it's important to check that you're doing everything right with a gluten-free diet, obviously. And then if there's any other symptoms that need to get investigated, because you know not every patient's going to improve. Patients can have other medical conditions apart from the celiac mm -hmm. disease, which need management. And some patients don't respond to the gluten-free diet the way we would expect them to. And this is where we need to do things a bit differently. They might need more medical treatment and, you know, they, they might even develop what we call refractory celiac disease. And that's that condition I'm talking about where they might not respond to the gluten-free diet the way we expect. So that's why follow-ups is pretty key for these patients. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Totally. Right. Wow. Key message. Another one is follow-ups. Absolutely. And you mentioned now the gluten-free diet, and this is another topic that comes up all the time with SANA users, which is the anxiety of saying, okay, I need to cut out gluten. Um, it seems like emotionally, it's such a big, big thing, right? Because, you know, people love eating, you know, bread and, and many, many things nowadays have gluten actually. Mm -hmm. So um, what are the alternatives, right? How, how do you manage this transition to a new diet and what are the alternatives yeah so so again this is something you know when we tell patients newly, newly diagnosed as a permanent gluten-free diet it's like what do i do but i think you know we're just used to certain things aren't we but really the the focus is there that actually most foods that we should be eating are naturally gluten-free And this is what I try to convey to patients that really your fruits, your vegetables, your chickpeas, lentils, your dairy products, your fresh meat, you know, eggs, chicken, fish, all of these things, herbs, spices, you know, these are naturally gluten free. Obviously, we need to be checking for them to see how they're manufactured, obviously checking all these packages and labels. But really, when most of your diet is naturally gluten free, then that's a diet that works for everyone else in the household, too. And all you need to do is be checking for these um, alternatives, which can also be, you know, good sources of fiber. People, you know, they want to enjoy their food like gluten free biscuits, gluten free uh, cakes, all this sort of thing. That's fine to have in your diet. But, you know, what, what some people do is they just think I need to have everything gluten free and they just go gluten free section for everything. And you don't need that's the balance. And it's the same as, you know, people think, well, if I can't have wheat, what other grains can I have? There's loads of other things that you can have. Right. And that's why it's, it's so important to have that appointment with a dietitian to say, right, these are other alternatives, other grains that you can have. And really that, that way the patient understands that actually there's more options than they thought there were at the start. And, you know, this can be pretty individualized, but really most of our, we have a lot of naturally gluten-free foods that we can have in our diet with, without an issue. Mm -hmm. How interesting, right? That there's, you know, a whole new world, which is, you know, gluten-free and equally can be equally tasty and yeah. fun. And uh, <laughs> so this, uh, I find it very, very interesting to, to hear that. And, Yeah, all the alternatives out there. That's uh, that's very very good. And um, well, it's um, 
you know, it's, it's, it's very interesting, right? Because we spoke about the diagnosis and what it means, the follow-ups, the nutrition. Um, what else do you think is part of this equation, this journey? What, what, what are probably the, the top concerns that, you know, your patients go back to you with on a recurring basis? Yeah, so I think a lot of this comes back to, again, I can't stress this enough, the whole follow-up thing. So so a lot of patients, they'll when I see them, they're basically, they've had some symptoms and then they just assume, right, it's the celiac disease and they go online and they get an even more restricted version of the, uh, of the gluten-free diet. So they'll start to cut out everything, they'll start to cut out dairy, they'll start to cut out corn, they'll start to cut out loads of different things. When really, when a patient is presenting with symptoms that don't resolve on the gluten-free diet, that's when we need to investigate things. And we need to check and see, because again, that person, they might have they might have IBS, for example, they might have irritable bowel syndrome too, and then the treatment might be different. They might have another medical condition, and they might have maybe another autoimmune condition that is just cropping up, and we need to investigate that. If we don't investigate that, we don't know. And the, the same comes from the celiac disease. If we want to know if, the, if a person's celiac disease is what's causing the issue, we can't just say it's your celiac disease. What we need to do, if the person's following the diet, a lot of times we'll need extra blood tests to check that they're absorbing things properly. And some patients will need a repeat camera test. So a camera test that goes into, you know, it goes into a small intestine, takes a sample again, and we can see actually has that healed or not. And if it's healed, then we know, right, that's not the celiac disease. And then we start that. So we start that diagnosis process again, the one we talked about. So we've had that, I've had that with patients, you know, who they've been anemic, for example, and we say, well, why is they, why are they anemic? They should, their gut should have healed on the gluten-free diet. And we've said, right, let's investigate it. And when we've done a camera test, we've seen actually it's not the celiac disease that's active. So we start to investigate what's the other cause for anemia. And we get to the bottom of that. So a lot of times people think it's normal to have ongoing symptoms, uh, but it isn't. No matter what condition you have, it, it isn't. And that's why you should always be getting that checked. Speak to health professionals, speak to dietitian to make sure that you're doing the gluten-free diet properly. Because that's another thing. A lot of patients, they'll come to me and, you know, if I ask them, oh, are you following the diet? They'll say yes. And then when you when you start to speak to them, they haven't realized the sources of cross-contamination in their diet. And they think, I'm doing everything right. And that's why you need to do the right things. You need to go to a health professional, get it checked, not assume that you're doing the right thing. That's why I mentioned the follow-ups is so important, especially in the first year. Because mm. if you don't, you're assuming you're doing the right thing, but you haven't had any feedback for it. And I think that's absolutely key with celiac disease. So we know from a medical point of view, everything's in check and that you're doing everything right with the diet. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, wow. And I really liked what you mentioned about don't ignore the symptoms, right? Having symptoms on a recurring basis is not normal. It shouldn't be right. So listen to your body and take action and get a help. But it, I mean, this is fascinating. And, and, you know, what I love, you know, about, you know, Christian is also your, your passion for this. And it's all reliable and evidence-based information, which coming back to the point we discussed earlier, there's a lot of misinformation out there and Dr. Google, which is very, very concerning. So um, to our audience, where they can find you online or in any, any, any platforms? Yeah, sure. So uh, there's a few places. So I'm quite active on Instagram as uh, celiac underscore dietitian so it's c-o-e and celiac and other different ways of spelling that but celiac underscore dietitian uh, then on twitter it's christian costas b uh, that they can find me 
And I think those are the main two places really where I'm quite active on social media. I've done a few things, uh, a few podcasts and things there, but through my Instagram page, they can find it. And then I share a lot of information there where, you know, I clarify all these things like diagnosis, the ingredients to watch out for with gluten, all of these sorts of things that can help people to make them understand what they need to do, what next steps they need to take to help them in this journey. So hopefully we can get more people diagnosed with this condition. And then once diagnosed, getting the right treatment and right follow-up. Absolutely. Right. So all of us follow Christian. I already do. but <laughs> um, And absolutely. Fantastic. And well, I'm really enjoying the conversation. I think there's so much content here, you know, to process and to learn from. And there's only one last question that I would like to ask you, which is about, you know, your personal routine and what you do to take care of your gut health. Yeah. So, uh, so I would say one of the things that's definitely changed over the last few years is how I perceive things and my focus on understanding that if I perceive things a different way, obviously you can help to relax your mind and that helps you to relax your gut. So there's that whole gut brain connection that, you know, it's a bit of a buzzword now where we know that there's that communication between the brain and the gut. And, you know, if you really stress that can affect your digestion, we know that with a lot of different things, it can change your microbiota too. So really that's one of the things that I'm always aware of. What else can I learn? to help my gut. And actually that just helps with everything in life. It's this sort of ongoing learning about what can improve gut health and what can make you relax, not stress as much about life, enjoy it. Um, and well, yeah, I think we're not, not in Spain where I'm from. So that would be my, my main learning point would be go to Spain and enjoy a bit of sun and nice food for that to help your gut. But whilst I can do that, I think relaxation is one of the things that I see a lot of patients are really, you know, they're really stressed about things and they don't realize that strong connection between the brain and the gut. And they think you've got to do everything from a diet point of view, but it's not always diet. There's other things. This is complex. It's lifestyle factors that affect it. And it's really important to learn about that too. Mm, certainly important and strong message to to finish with actually to take care of you know the mind and just put the stress on aside and actually you're right it it can make things worse right and it's not only about the diet but also about the stress so spot on super message and christian thank you so much again for you know being with us today and uh well we will follow your journey continue to support you and um hope that you will come back one day again <laughs> thank you thanks thanks for having me i really enjoyed that um and yeah definitely definitely up for spreading spreading more messages like this to to help people come forward get diagnosed and get the right information <laughs> amazing speak soon christian thank, thank you. you speak soon bye